This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to AI and in Industry. We continue our month-long series this month of December on keeping a competitive advantage with artificial intelligence. We heard last week from Abigail Hinghuen, and we've previously heard from leaders at Cognizant and from Ernst & Young, all of whom have had different takes on sort of how to stay ahead of the game when it comes to artificial intelligence. This week, we speak with a machine learning and data science VP at United Health Group, Elon Kazi has exactly that role. United Health, for those of you who aren't aware, is a firm with over $220 billion in annual revenue. So very large firm, firm that's been around for quite some time. So Elon's perspective is that of someone who's within a large existing company. And Elon uh, speaks with us about his take on how artificial intelligence can be leveraged for a competitive advantage. And he talks both about how to build kind of a flywheel of data, uh, which he articulates quite well in terms of how businesses can sort of build an edge over their competitors, as well as building on kind of core capabilities, what we often refer to as critical capabilities here at Emerge. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. If you're also in an existing business and you're looking to get started with AI, even if AI wasn't necessarily in the DNA of your company, then be sure to download our report called Beginning with AI. Uh, this is three critical insights for getting started with adopting artificial intelligence and reducing risk. The report can be found at E-M-E-R-J, that's Emerge, E-M-E-R-J.com slash B-E-G-1, that's B-E-G like begin, and then one. So E-M-E-R-J slash B-E-G-1, and you can download that sample PDF report. Without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode with Elon Kazi, the Vice President of Data Science and Machine Learning at United Health Group. Let's hop right in. So Elon, uh, we'll start things off by just getting your perspective on what the competitive advantage of artificial intelligence actually is in business. What is it that gives businesses a potentially lasting edge? Maybe we can start with that. Sure. I, I think you know any any business, especially today, needs to really be focusing at least a part of their business within AI and how how a business can essentially leverage AI as a competitive advantage is ensuring that they're utilizing their data properly. So businesses have just a, a wealth of data. It can be used in different ways, but I think what you know what I found just in my personal experience and with other industry leaders is that there is so much data out there that is just untapped that businesses own that they haven't really been able to either monetize or to create value from. And you know, with with AI, it's a very a very specific skill set and it's a very specific tool that can really be used to enhance an overall business. It can be used to create business lines. It can really be used uh, in all areas of a business. You talk about enhance a business, create business lines. I think that these are all sort of, I guess, aspects that could give businesses a competitive advantage. When you think about which of those are potentially most powerful and would let businesses pull ahead, maybe we could dive into that. Because I think probably everybody's going to be trying to level up their skills a little bit and there'll be some incremental creeping you know, lift in AI competence across the enterprise. But some companies will probably really pull ahead and win market share and others maybe not so much, even though they are you know, growing their competence at kind of the same level. What do you think separates winners from losers there? Sure. I, I think there's a few aspects. I think if we start foundationally, it's really being able to collect the data and essentially store it in, in various ways. So without a large amount of data, AI is not going to be very successful. It tends to thrive a lot more with the more data that you have. So I think if you take just our, the standard technology companies, for instance, 
they're collecting data in all facets of our life. And what they're finding is that as more data is added and as that data is attached to individual consumers or individual users, they can create better profiles of their customers and they can figure out new products and services to sell them. So that's more of a technology example. I would say within healthcare, we, we think of our, our customer really as the patient. And what we find is that the more information that we can get on our patients, I'd say the more improved healthcare that we can offer those patients and the more we can understand about their lives so that we're doing better to really predict different disease outcomes and not be, not be so reactive. And I, I imagine for that to be a competitive advantage, you're talking about sort of the advantage of data. I, I like maybe using healthcare as an example. Obviously, you know, you're with one of the you know, largest healthcare firms in the nation here, uh, one of the biggest in the world, I'm sure. So maybe we can use that as a bit of a lens to some degree. It would seem as though in order to have kind of a, a strategic competitive advantage in healthcare, you would not only maybe want a lot of data about something like, let's say, I don't know, x-rays of people's lungs or something, or MRIs of people's lungs, you know, detecting cancer or other pulmonary diseases, but that you would want more of it than maybe any other healthcare organization. So that maybe you'd have this massively sustainable, really big moat around sort of certain kinds of services, certain kinds of, of products or whatever the case may be. Is it the case that you think, and let's say if we're just talking healthcare, that you think organizations will try to really kind of pick their lane and kind of data dominate in those spaces so that they can really serve customers better than anybody else? I, I think they will. I really do. I, I think it's a good it's a good foundational approach because when you're looking at AI, it always starts with the data itself. So I think you'll have different players within the healthcare space and even with different sectors in healthcare, you know, focusing on on one area or two areas, and then you'll have the the really large companies that are really trying to get all of it. But really from there, if you want to turn it into a competitive advantage, it's being able to utilize that data to create products and services. And I think if we're talking, you know, a, a really big differentiator, it's things like embedding AI into, into different products, right? So we think about, you know, retail products, it's very common to have AI embedded behind the scenes. But from a healthcare lens, it's essentially very similar. It's just it's so much more individualized to a patient. And the better that companies can get at utilizing the data and creating AI solutions that actually scale, those will be the ones that will you know, really be successful in the future and the ones that can't do it or the ones where it, it takes a really long time to go from kind of idea to implementation. They're really going to be the laggards. So maybe there's one side of this that is sort of really winning the data game, but obviously data by itself, you know, you can't just uh, fill up your Hadoop bucket sky high and, and think that you're going to win in business for that reason. You're saying that obviously the other side of the coin is, can we embed those in products that really deliver value? Maybe both of these have to do with strategic advantage, competitive advantage in the market. For data, kind of makes sense. Hey, let's really own you know, more data than anybody else in area X and hypothetically we'll be able to serve, you know, our customer better than anybody else because of it and kind of build a virtuous cycle. When it comes to productizing AI, what are the competitive advantages there? What will companies who are sort of good at this stuff, for lack of better terms, do that maybe the losing companies won't? Sure. I, I think the biggest thing around productizing AI is if the product is successful and you know your your end consumer really enjoys using it, it will essentially say really improve the overall brand of the company and of the product itself. So 
I think as, you know, if you take something like Amazon, for instance, where, you know, you have all this AI embedded into the purchase process and in recommending items, and it almost seems like it knows you better than yourself and it's, it's easy to use. So I think that's another key element. You can have AI embedded into a product, but it also has to be easy to use. The AI piece is really kind of the it's, it's the piece that people see. They don't really see what's behind the scenes with all the machine learning algorithms and all the, the data science that's gone into it. So it, it's kind of a balance between, you know, a novel product, a popular product, but something that's also very e- easy to use. And then I would say, lastly, having a feedback mechanism within the product or maybe even in the service so that as people are using it, you're getting feedback data from it and you're essentially using it to improve the next iteration of that product or service. And what would be sort of this, this seems to me obviously like a set of skills, a set of frameworks for working on AI projects on products that would sort of help one company maybe spin the flywheel faster than others. What maybe would enable that culture? What you're articulating feels like a way of working, a set of skills, a way of teamwork that maybe is a a strategic differentiator in addition to just purely collecting more data. What are companies going to do that master that part of the game? Obviously, that's that's tough in the enterprise, right? A lot of this is really different in terms of workflow and culture. How do we get there? What are those folks doing that lets them pull ahead and really develop those, those new methods? Sure. I think the organizations that are successful today and you know thinking into the future, they've really done a good job of thinking about AI, not just as a like an IT project or a technology project. They're really thinking about it at a at a very strategic level. And it's from, you know, C-level executives all the way down. So you have, you know, you have leadership support in all levels of the organization. And the organization has made a big effort to, to move in that direction. So I think it really, it starts at the top and you have to, you have to infuse it in your organization. I think the other thing too is that, you know, organizations really succeed when their data scientists are working with, you know, product, with sales, with marketing, yeah. with regulatory in, in healthcare, for instance, having all of those diverse stakeholders at the table when the ideas are being generated and when, you know, when people are trying to understand the problems and pain points to create solutions, that's very key. We find that, especially in healthcare, you can have very highly trained data scientists, but they're never going to have the clinical knowledge of a physician or of a nurse or a pharmacist. And, you know, having, having that partnership with clinicians in our case and in other businesses with subject matter experts really makes the end product or the end service much more successful. And it's much easier to really define what success looks like. Yeah, being able to sort of get data scientists to work with the subject matter experts and and vice versa, I suppose, right, will maybe create an osmosis where we can speak enough of a common language to move faster. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. The language piece that can be very challenging because, you know, a, a really good data scientist should be able to communicate everything about machine learning and AI to a wide variety of audiences, not just people who are technical in nature. And the really, really good ones can communicate very succinctly. You know, many times they can use analogies that are easier to understand, but communication is also uh, key to success. You brought up a really interesting point, and yeah, so totally agree there, and I think that that's, that's a real challenge, right? Because you come out of Carnegie Mellon with a PhD in AI, you're not exactly trained on sort of communicating the, number one, you, you know, if you get thrown into a retail company, you don't all of a sudden understand the retail business, nor were you trained 
to communicate to executives, right? You had to impress your PhD advisors, a very different world. So there's a lot of challenges culturally in terms of getting that space to move a little faster. You brought up a really great point that I think the audience can sink their teeth into is that a lot of this starts at the top. And that's kind of frustrating if you're not at the top, but I think it's a really interesting point. Do you think that to some degree, you know, we're talking about data and then the way of working, you know, this is competitive advantage kind of at least as you've outlined it. A lot of the way of working, you know, starts from, from executive leadership. Is there just a competitive advantage in picking the right leaders that get this stuff? Or is there a way to maybe educate existing leaders who want to get this stuff? How do you think this has to happen in, in big enterprises, established ones? I would say it's it's probably a combination of both of those. I, I think in an ideal world, you know, we could hire all of our senior leaders would be, you know, pretty decently versed in AI and they would understand how strategic it can be and the value it could bring. But I don't, I don't think in any large organization you'll ever find that. I think you'll have, you know, varying degrees of leaders that will have it. The education piece that you brought up, that second part, that's very interesting because when I think, you know, to my current role right now, I actually spend a lot of my time educating others in the organization about how to properly use machine learning and AI. So there really is a huge educational component, not just in understanding the basics of AI, but also in clearly articulating the value. So in an ideal world, if you're thinking about if you're thinking about creating an AI solution for a problem, you know, you would have a high-level business case that would show here's the potential value that it could bring in terms of, you know, sales or profitability. In healthcare, it's kind of layering in how is this going to help improve healthcare quality for our patients. But that's very important. If you can demonstrate that your AI solution is going to bring, you know, an extra $20 million in sales. I think every single executive that listens to that, their ears are going to perk up, whether they, you know, kind of believe in AI or not, or no matter how much expertise they have in the field. To some degree, I see people like yourself as the beginnings of this glue, right? You didn't necessarily get a PhD in computer science per se, but but you came up, you, you obviously are technically savvy, played in the analytics space in previous companies and, and eventually got, got around to kind of, you know, being a director and VP in, in data science at United Health, I think people that sort of have this, they've bumbled through business experience, you know, they, they've had to interface with leadership, and then they're in a machine learning role. It seems like you could at least bridge the gap there. How do you think more companies could develop more folks that can, I guess, communicate in both directions? Sure, sure. It, it definitely has to be a two-way street. So you will have, you know, your leaders that have had a business background their entire life, have worked their way up, and then all of a sudden they go into a role where they're either directly or indirectly leading data scientists or machine learning specialists. From that lens, they'll have to brush up on those types of skill sets. They don't have to get extremely technical. They they don't have to learn how to program, but they should still have, you know, I'd say a base level of knowledge with AI. And then when I think kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, a, a data scientist that either comes from academia or has never really worked with, with business stakeholders, from that lens, that data scientist has to understand how do they communicate the technical solutions that they create in a manner that is going to get leadership buy-in. And, you know, for the most part, we're in business, it's going to have to be around something like sales or profitability or market share or even you know, in addition of, of certain amounts of customers over the course of a few years, but they have to really be able to communicate in that language. So I think, you know, we can take the business leader, we can take the data scientist or the technical person, 
they almost have to meet in the middle in terms of how they communicate and how they enhance their skill sets. Yeah. And and to build a business culture where you can have that interfacing happen frequently enough to build those mutual skills is a is tough. As you were listing things like um, revenue and profit and whatnot, I was actually thinking you were going to say risk reduction or compliance or kind of the the big red negatives in addition to the big green plus signs. Because I I guess, you know, looking at the enterprise world of AI, it feels like often that's what moves the needle. Do you feel differently? I think that's a tough question because I, I think in the in the healthcare world, there's there's always the element of risk and and regulatory pressures. So it's something that, you know, working, working within healthcare, whether you're a business leader or a data scientist, that's always top of mind. But I think when you're looking to really demonstrate the value of a solution, you're right. Like you will have cases where there isn't kind of a, a straight line to showing the solution, you know, raised our revenue by X million dollars. It will be more around risk reduction you know, regulatory compliance, it could even be more qualitative factors. And that doesn't mean that it's not useful. It just may be a little bit more challenging to get that leadership buy-in. Yeah. Well, I, I think everybody's going to be sort of wrestling with that one a little bit. I'm, I'm going to take us for our last little tidbit of a question, Elon. I'm, I'm going to take us to where you started, which is really looking at data, sort of data as an advantage. I'm imagining there will be business leaders who are tuned in right now to this program who are in Ah, marketing, compliance, operations, manufacturing, who knows? And they're asking themselves, how do I kind of put on a, you know, the, the data goggles and take a look at what are the critical aspects of data I should think about collecting more? If I'm going to have this strategic advantage, if I just want to think about it, even if I'm not driving forward with 100 AI projects, if I just want to find those opportunity areas, how do I find them? You know, what, what's, what's your advice for, for business leaders who aren't technically trained, but who want to find those data opportunities? Sure. I, I think the easiest way is just starting with, you know, having a having a repository of what is the data that currently exists. And it it's something that is so simple, but it's just not done enough because, you know, I, I've, I've seen projects where certain teams are, are looking or wanting to collect types of data, and they don't realize that it already exists somewhere in the organization. It just may be in a different business line or a different uh-huh. division. It may already be there. So, Actually, starting with identifying the existing data sources and kind of, you know, what are some of the key elements, that's a great first place to start. And many times, you know, like I found things that I didn't know existed. I'm sure peers have as well. That's extremely helpful. I think from there, kind of step two is then determining out of all those data assets, which ones are the ones that are actually used the most? I'm sure in any organization, you know, you're going to have the 80-20 rule and, you know, 20% of the data sets are used 80% of the time. That can really also help save time in any project. And then I think step three, if you're finding that certain data isn't being collected, that's when it's it's really meeting with you know the technical teams and kind of understanding what would it take to collect the data. You know, does your does your company or organization can they actually collect the data? Like, are they allowed to do that? Because especially when within healthcare, there's a lot of regulatory you know, regulations yeah. around it. But you know, in something like retail, there really there really isn't as much. So it it can be based on the industry, but uh, I would say that's that's kind of how I think of any data acquisition project, and eventually, you know, using that to make your AI project successful. Just to close out, because I I know some of the companies tuned in may already have somebody to go to to find the quote unquote data catalog, or they would at least know who might be the teams that would begin handling that project if they haven't already. 
who who within a big organization whose whose umbrella is that under? Is it only when you have a chief data officer can you realistically expect that you have such a catalog? Is it the CIO may have something like that kicking around or someone in their office? I mean, maybe it's different business to business. Do you have an instinct about whose mandate that would be to build such a thing? You know, in in many cases, it really starts with the CIO type position, uh, especially in the larger organizations. You know, I've found that that working with CIOs, that can be a great first place to start because many times they'll understand, you know, at an enterprise level, what's going on with with data and architecture and, and, and everything in that area. I would say in the more sophisticated organizations, you know, you start to see CIOs and chief data officers working kind of in tandem. And so I, I would say, you know, if at your organization you have a chief data officer, it would probably make more sense to start with them. But if you don't, if you only have a CIO, definitely start with them first. Got it. Well, yeah, hopefully more and more companies will have uh, data governance plans, data catalogs, obviously really makes for a good place to start. You brought up a great point. It really would be a shame to duplicate a whole data set and all these data instrumentation efforts if it's already been done. In fact, I mean, arguably few things more wasteful than that. So Elon, I appreciate the clarity here and I appreciate you handling these bonus questions at the end. I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for joining us on AI and industry. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of AI and Industry. You will want to stay tuned for next Tuesday as our last guest in the series on using AI for competitive advantage is the head of AI at Slack. Slack is obviously a very exciting unicorn company in the teamwork software space. Many of you probably use Slack. And uh, Adam Oliner is our head of AI and he is our final guest in this series and also our final guest of 2019. In that episode, I will also be sharing with you a little bit of what's coming up. What are going to be the new series that we're going to be booting off in January and in February? And what can you expect to see here on AI and industry? So there's a lot more of a preview of the new year and an excellent guest in the coming week. We've been fighting hard, in case you guys haven't been able to tell, to bring to you very high-level guests for the program. Again, we're talking about head of AI at Raytheon was on recently. The head of AI at Cognizant was on recently. You know, very high level sort of AI folks at Slack. And we have Square's head of AI coming up pretty soon. So we've been working hard at this based on uh, your feedback as listeners. We really want to bring very experienced people on the program. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here on AI and industry, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It means the world to us. And it helps us learn and discover what you get the most out of and what we should be doing more of. The idea of really bringing on heads of AI at very big and reputable companies is something that our listeners wanted and something that we've been working very ardently to deliver on. So if you've enjoyed that, do drop us a review. It does mean the world. And otherwise, make sure to stay tuned in next Tuesday as we have Slack's head of AI here on AI and Industry.